How's it going? Good. Good. Good enough. (laughs) Good enough. Earlier this week, I called up and video chatted a woman named Megan McCoy. So you're a therapist, but not just any ordinary therapist. Uh, How would you describe yourself? Yeah, I like to call myself a financial therapist. Um, So if you're like me and had never heard of the term financial therapist, think of her work as traditional therapy, but the focus is on your relationship with money. So she still delves into all the feelings and childhood traumas. In fact, she says there's this term they use called financial flashpoints. And these are the moments that tend to lead to you developing beliefs and attitudes around money that shape all your financial behaviors then on. Mm. They could be like, oh, I remember the first time I made money or the first time I got to save up enough to buy something. And she says there are also negative flashpoints like losing a nest egg or watching your parents fight over money. And the field of financial therapy is pretty young. It kind of became a thing during the 2008 recession. Parallel to what we're going through today made financial stress become much more in the forefront of everybody's mind. Clients started asking therapists for guidance about money, and financial planners found themselves doing a lot of emotional support. So, yeah, kind of like what's happening right now. I'm Rima Khreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a podcast for Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. So this week, we are doing something a little different. We've been hearing from a lot of you all about the financial anxieties you're experiencing. And I just wanted to take a moment to talk with Megan about some of it and get her advice. And since it feels like everyone I know has something they're worried about right now, later in the show, I'll bring on some of my colleagues to chat with Megan themselves. So if you haven't heard last week's episode, first of all, you should. But I talked with this one couple quarantined together that just kept fighting over money and their financial security. And it's honestly been on my mind for days now because I think it can be already really difficult to talk about money and relationships. And now with this pandemic, it just heightens things. And it's part of the reason why I wanted to talk with Megan, because in addition to being a financial therapist, she's also a licensed marriage and family therapist. When I told her about this couple, she said it didn't surprise her. So you spent a lot of time talking with couples about how to get on the same page financially, essentially? Yes. What we know from research is that all money fights are qualitatively different than other topics. People tend to curse more. They last mm. longer. People are nastier with each other. And they don't tend to get resolved. So money fights are never Wait, they don't nasty. get resolved? No. Money fights are one of those things that people like fight about for a while. And then they're like finally brush it under the carpet. Like you're mm. never going to make a, a spender fully a saver and a saver is never going to, you know, all of a sudden become a total spender. Like kind of becomes what we call a gridlocked issue, where it's something that can't be fully resolved, but hopefully you can get skills to be able to manage it better. Mm. And, you know, I think as people are dealing with more financial anxiety these days, I was curious what advice you have for couples who are trying to problem solve about money. Yeah, I think this is a hard one because it might be an issue of underlying fears around money and, and different comfort levels around money. There's a meaning of money uh, test you can actually give couples. What is is that? Yeah, it's some people see money as safety. Some people see money as fun. Some Mm. people see money as power. Some people see money as status. All these different beliefs around money will make people come up against money differently. So if money means security for you, when you're anxious, you're going to focus your anxiety on one thing you can control, which is making money. Mm. 
So then if if you if you have a couple and they see money one person sees money as fun and one person sees it as safety, how do you reconcile those two things? Yeah. We learn our money beliefs so early in life that we don't really see other people as having different viewpoints. We apply our motivations and our beliefs to their actions. So I think even just realizing we come to money differently is really freeing. Like, oh, I didn't even know I could see money that way. I didn't know I could behave mm. around money that way. And then we are terrible at mind reading. So by helping a couple <laughs> right. see like, oh, they're not being a jerk and trying to control me. They have a lot of anxiety around mm-hmm. money. And so they're trying to control their anxiety, not me. That can be a powerful release of like anger and misguided motivations. And right, like right. That, yeah. To not take it personally and to, yeah, and to investigate what it is about their own relationship with money and how it yeah. makes them feel. And so, empathy. so is, okay. So then the first step sounds like just to, to verbalize it, even though that can be really hard to verbalize right. how you feel about your relationship right. with money. Yeah. There's like a whole wave of, um, of how to talk called nonviolent communication. And I don't love the title, yeah. but I think, <laughs> but I think their four steps are really good because they seem so easy, but they're not things we actually do. Okay. Like so f- what are they? Yeah. The first one is observations. Like you are, honestly describing what you see your partner does. Not like I see you being a jerk because you're a jerk face, but <laughs> I, I see you um, shutting down and turning away from me. It's describing right. your partner what you are seeing in them to make sense of why you're interpreting things the way you are. And then you provide your partner with insights on what the observation you're having. So I see you shutting down and turning away and it makes me feel sad because I feel alone or I feel like you're ignoring me or I feel like I'm not important Mm. or things like that. Right. So attaching an emotion to that observation. So the third step is needs. So the person has already said, I observed you turning away from me. The feeling it caused was sadness because Mm -hmm. I have a basic need that needs to be met. It could be love connection, safety, autonomy, um, things Mm. like that. And Mm. then then the next one is to make a clear request of what I need my partner to do to meet my needs. Okay, let me try this. Can I try to model one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So if I had a partner who uh, every time I bring up like our budget or some financial concerns, they like turned away, I would say, so I see that whenever I bring up our budget, you're turning away. Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel sad because mm-hmm. what I need is connection from you. And next time I ask you, I'd like for you to talk with me. Directly. Yeah. <laughs> you did so good. You are a nonviolent communicator. <laughs> yeah, because it's always that easy. All right. Coming up after the break, Megan helps some of my coworkers. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. All right. So a couple of my colleagues also have questions for Megan. And first up, we're going to hear from Sarah Menendez. 
Hello. Hi. Hi. Can, can you, you hear us? me? Mm-hmm. Hold on. Let me let me turn my light on and my camera on so you can see my face. I'm fully in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. I mean, I'm not in my pajamas per se, but like, what are pajamas these days? I know exactly. Right. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, cool. So, so Sarah, you have a couple questions you wanted to ask Megan, right? I do. Yes. Okay. So my first question. Um, I'm like hyper aware of the fact that like so many people are losing their jobs right now. And I'm pretty sure that like one of my friends will probably be in that same boat, if not a few. And I, on the flip side, feel pretty comfortable about my job right now. And talking about work now, it kind of has another layer of like privilege of at least having a job to complain about or for people like me, at least having a job that you can work from home as well, you know, so... Mm -hmm. I'm just like wondering, like, how do I, you know, navigate that space and be a good supportive friend in the event that one of my friends gets laid off? I, yeah. I feel the same way, Sarah. I, yeah. It's hard. It. Yeah, it is. Bad friends never worry that they're bad. So I think the fact that you're <laughs> aware and are caring about your friends and even hypothetical friends is such a sign that you are so emotionally attuned to your loved ones that most likely they are aware that you're there for them to talk to you about. Yeah. I think I think making it more transparent when they lose their job, if they lose their job, that you are comfortable talking to them about this. Because what happens is like when bad things happen, it's hard to just listen. Like we want to say the right word or, yeah. or give yes, the right exactly platitude i remember the first funeral i went to i I googled i didn't even know if it was google it's probably like yahoo or bing back then but i googled (laughs) what is the right phrase to say to someone afterwards because i want like the perfect thing to say and what we we know is really being able to listen and be able to empathize is crazy helpful like just being able to say like this is really shitty like i don't have a solution for you because there's no solution but i want to listen to what's going on in your life and understand and just know that I'm here to support you in any way I can. Yeah. One of the things that I'm likening this to in my mind is grief because I do have experience with that. And I've been on both sides. When I think about what I wanted to hear, it's mm. like all I wanted was to know that they were there for me. And obviously, you know, losing a job and, you know, losing a loved one is they're two different things. But I think that I, I am trying to, you know, be better ju- about just like showing up. And just saying, like, I'm here. It's hard when we're, like, doing all these things virtually, you know? Right. Right. And I think you're touching on probably one of the hardest struggles is that if someone is um, let go at this point in time when they're stuck at home, time expands so much. But there's so much time to fill up. There's less things to distract us. Yeah, it's different. Well, we can't do things together. Right. And so time is going slower. Yet for you guys, especially having to work from home, you're Mm -hmm. working more. They're working less. And so finding the time to just reach out to them and be intentional, like you said, being there for them is probably the biggest step you can take because your time is going by much faster than their time. Yeah. Are there things you suggest we avoid saying? No, because I... Yeah. 
anything you say is not going to be as big of a mess up of not calling them. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, it'll always be better for you to be there for them and say the wrong thing. And you can even <laughs> preface your conversations like, I don't know what to say. This is awkward. It's hard to talk about yeah. money anytime. It's really scary to talk about money and what's going on right now. Mm. So all these conversations makes me feel anxious. So I'm going to say so many stupid things, but I want to say those yeah. stupid things to you because I love you and I miss your face. <laughs> um, new question. So something that like I had been aware of prior to COVID was like, we're going to hit a recession at some point in my lifetime. I always had it in the back of my head where I was like, you got to prepare for that, girl. (laughs) And I was doing shit on saving. I mean, I wasn't preparing. I wasn't. I was, I was, it was in the back of my mind. But it was a Shyamalan twist right there. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and now that it's here, I'm, I'm trying to now take that panic and turn it into action. I just don't even know where to start. Yeah. So what do I do? (laughs) Go. Okay. So I think what you're asking is because you have, um, work right now, how can you save more? So I think the first step whenever you want to save more is to create a spending plan. People do this weird dieting kind of whiplash thing with doing mm-hmm. a budget where they mm-hmm. just restrict everything, then they're miserable, then they blow it all in compulsive shopping <laughs> sprees. I wish Amazon had yep, like a that resonates. <laughs> one click shopping on one Amazon is dangerous sometimes. Um, but I think so. I, I like people to plan for spending. Like, what are your values around money that will make you happy that you'll get life from? Then put that in your budget. And that yeah. way you're not left with like, oh, I'm spending some of my savings. Your savings are already part of your line, yeah. of your spending plan. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. All right. All right. Y'all have All right. a good day. You too. I'll ta- too. Hopefully I'll see you soon. Let's do a happy hour I know. soon. No, please, Rima. Seriously. Okay. Okay, bye. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, bye, <laughs> All right, so our next question comes from our producer, Daisy. Hey, Daisy. Hey. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just having a really hard time getting, like, older family members to understand the severity of all of this. Um, so, for example, my, my in-laws, they just keep going to the grocery store. And every week they'll go, sometimes twice a week. Um, and I know that they understand the virus and how it works, but sometimes it feels like they don't really understand the importance of social distance. And like, for example, like my husband and I, we've offered to go to the stores for them and we've offered to drop things off at their doorstep so that they won't have to, but they never really take us up on the offer. They're just like, oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Thanks. I'm just struggling to get through to them. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you have any advice. Yeah. Um, When hearing the story, if potentially... Um, they're just dealing with their anxiety in a different way, it, especially if you're not recognizing your anxiety. Um, you could be um, going shopping a lot, getting a lot of supplies because you don't know how to deal with the anxiety you're experiencing. Um, so they might be so anxious but not wanting to share that, especially since you guys are their children that they want to um, you know, present like they have everything in control and really they are freaking out on the inside. Yeah. Um, Another thing is I know that I stayed home for three weeks straight and then yesterday went to the grocery store and my when I walked out of the house to go to the grocery store by myself, I felt so rejuvenated, which was so dumb yeah. because I'm, I'm doing my best to flatten the curve. But there was something about the process of getting in my car and going somewhere and seeing people. It that feels I have, good. Yeah. And I felt guilty about it, but potentially 
they're just still craving that sense of normalcy in such a scary time. Yeah. And I don't know. I also think it can be hard sometimes to get through to folks who, you know, who are our parents or who were traditionally supposed right. to look to for guidance. And I wonder if there's also a bit of that, you know, maybe they're struggling with that reversal of roles of having younger folks and their family tell them what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that happening with specifically with my in-laws is like, they're always looking after us. They still mm. treat yeah. it's, it's very sweet. Like I got very lucky with my in-laws. Um, I do see like them struggling, I think with the reversal where like, it's my husband and me saying like, you really should not go anymore. You don't need the tortillas. You don't need any more, <laughs> any more food. Um, you're yeah. good for two weeks. You know, I just prefer them to be at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part of that might be your anxiety too, that yeah. you, you are, like you said, lucky that you have in-laws that you absolutely adore. So, yeah. and maybe sharing that with them, it makes me feel more anxiety when you go shopping. Is there any way we can meet in the middle that you do it for me? And that way, since they are such great caretakers and they love to act out of love, they can start reframing their shopping trips and their lack of shopping trips out of love for you versus mm, yeah. other things that are going on for them. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you so much, Megan. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. really quickly, I'd love to hear any advice you might have for folks um, on how to manage the financial anxiety they may be feeling right now. Right. And I think with financial anxiety, the biggest thing is to separate real anxiety, like real fears, real things that you need to take care of from Mm -hmm. the anxieties that are, are, are anticipatory, as you talked about, like things you can't control or things that are coming in the future. So I think the very first step, whenever if you're feeling financial anxiety, is to get your paperwork in order, figure out your budget, figure out where are you making enough to cover If not, through the CARE Act, we have the stipend checks coming out. We have unemployment assistance. We have moratorium on foreclosures and evictions. And each state has slightly different rules. But within each state, there is all this uh, assistance that is now available. It is by far not enough. But the first step is to see what is your current situation and what can you do for help? And then after that, you need to start exploring um, which of these fears are not warranted. Maybe you have an emergency saving fund. Maybe you have a partner working. Um, Maybe you are getting assistance that is going to help you get through this. And where are those remaining fears coming from if you're still anxious once you know Mm. you're okay? Mm. So figure out where are your anxieties coming from and separate the real from the fake is my biggest ones. Yeah, no, that's great advice. This was really great. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you. And if you all want to share what's going on in your world right now, whether it's around mental health and money or how the outbreak is impacting your relationships, as always, you can email me and the team at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. All right, that's all for this week's show. This is Uncomfortable is me, Rima Reis, Megan Dietry, Haley Hirschman, Peter Balanon-Rosen, and Daisy Palacios. With help this week from Eliza Mills. Our intern is Daniel Martinez. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Daniel Ramirez is our audio engineer. Satara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. And Deb Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace. And our theme music is by Wanderly. All right, I'll catch y'all next week. 
Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy.